We're continuing in our mini-series of the Fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, starting in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this great privilege to gather together in the name of Christ. Lord, we thank you that you've said that when we gather together in your name, that you are here with us. Uh, Lord, we pray now that as we open your word, that you would be pleased to bless the preaching of your word. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to understand. Lord, may we receive this not as the word of man, but for what it is, the word of God. Uh, Lord, may it be your truth that is spoken and nothing but your truth. I pray that you get me out of the way and that you would simply accomplish the intention for which you have sent your holy word. Uh, Lord, be glorified now through the preaching of your word and always in the lives of your people. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So yes, we pick up again with our Galatian series and uh, continue, in, as Pastor Josh mentioned, what might be seen as a series within a series as we continue working through the fruit of the Spirit. To this point, we have seen the contrast between the flesh and the Spirit, Having spent a few sermons on the works of the flesh, uh, looking there at what will manifest in our lives when it is our sinful nature calling the shots. And we turned last week to begin to look at the fruit of the Spirit. So these are the characteristics and virtues that will characterize those people who are walking according to the Spirit and not the flesh. So, this is what the Spirit of God will produce within those in whom he indwells. This will be the fruit of sanctification, of growing in holiness. And once again, we must be careful to keep our order right. These are not things that we are pursuing in order to earn salvation. Nobody will be saved by being loving, joyful, peaceful, etc. But rather, salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Those who have been saved have been given the Holy Spirit, and then it is the Holy Spirit who produces this fruit in us. So the fruit of the Spirit is not something we produce in ourselves in order to earn salvation. Rather, this fruit is evidence that we have been saved. It is an excellent indication that the Spirit of the living God has been working in our hearts. The fruit of the Spirit, therefore, is an excellent description of what the Christian life ought to look like. Let's pick up again where we left off. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And so we pick up this morning with patience. In Greek, this is macrothumia, uh, to be patient, long-suffering. 
to show endurance, particularly in the face of trials. The patient person is the opposite of the short-tempered person. The patient person delays their anger. They do not have a short fuse. They are patient, long-suffering. The patient person is one who shows fortitude, steadfastness. And as James tells us, steadfastness, patient endurance, is one of the things that God is aiming to produce in his people through their trials. James 1 verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So notice, patient endurance, the steadfastness, is therefore one of the key ingredients in growing into maturity, that we may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I think it's fairly self-evident that the immature person lacks patience, but the mature man or woman does not. The patient man has learned the secret of waiting peacefully. The impatient person, in contrast, requires everything to happen on, our, on their timeline, and if it doesn't, they will get all bent out of shape about it. A lack of patience likely reveals much deeper problems. What is your impatience rooted in? What does it stem from? Is it fear? Perhaps the fear that if things don't happen according to my timeline, my schedule, everything is going to fall apart. And so when you encounter an unexpected speed bump or barrier, any sort of delay that is outside of your control, we freak out. Well, this fear reveals a lack of trust. This fear forgets that God is in control. This fear-driven impatience fails to trust that God is governing all things. Patience trusts in God and in his timing. Patience does not panic when faced with an unexpected delay, obstacle, or curveball. But rather, patience trusts in the God who declared the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, Isaiah 46, verse 9. Or perhaps your impatience is rooted in something else. Perhaps it is stemming from pride. The prideful impatience says, How dare you make me wait? Do you know who I am? I should not have to put up with this. This is beneath me. I am too important to have to wait. My time is too valuable. This form of impatience reveals an inflated sense of self-importance. It reveals pride. The solution then is to learn 
humility, crush your pride, and patience will follow. Impatience can also make you into a quitter. You will be someone who gives up quickly and easily. The impatient person demands fast results, and if they don't get them, will quickly throw in the towel. Now this extends across nearly every area of life. Think of it, apply it to spiritual disciplines. Yeah, you know, I tried reading my Bible and praying, but it didn't seem to be doing anything for me, so I quit. Or physical disciplines. Sure, I tried that diet for a week, or that workout plan for a few days, but I wasn't seeing the results I wanted, so I gave up. And so whatever it is, work or business, learning new skills, relationships, parenting, ministry, anything at all, if you bring impatience to these areas of life, you will cut yourself off from seeing meaningful growth or progress. You know, the fact is, nearly anything worth having in this life requires time, and therefore patience. If you are a chronically impatient person, you will likely be a quitter, and as a result, you will rarely find success in your endeavors. Now, I first heard this quote applied to young men entering the ministry, but I think it applies across the board, and that is, we frequently overestimate what can be accomplished in the short term, and we underestimate what can be accomplished in the long term. Galatians 6 verse 9 says this, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Cultivate patience. Apply it everywhere. God loves to bless long-term faithfulness. Do not be easily discouraged, but learn patience. Do not underestimate what can be accomplished through perseverance, steadfast endurance. You know, in all these areas of life we mentioned, what matters far more then whether or not you were successful in your first few attempts is whether or not you keep on going, day in, day out, long-term faithfulness, patient endurance, long-suffering, steadfastness. In due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Patience is, is therefore rooted in hope. Patience looks ahead to a hoped-for future, and that positive outcome brings encouragement into the present. As it applies to perseverance, we can be patient because of our hope that we will reap what we have sown if we do not give up. When we understand how patience functions, we can actually see that patience can play a powerful role in battling certain forms of anxiety. Patience enables us to pray with endurance and perseverance. We will not simply quit when we don't see the fast results that we were hoping for. Instead, we will be willing to wait upon the Lord, trusting that He will answer. 
Patience allows us to wait in peace, trusting in our God. Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Patience, steadfast endurance, in difficult times especially, is rooted in hope, and our hope is rooted in the promises of God. Our hope is rooted in the promises of the God who holds the future in his hands. However bleak things may look at any point in history for the church, God's people can endure with patience. For Christ has promised that he would build his church, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Matthew 16 and 18. However dark the world may look, we can wait with patience in the hope of the promises of God that one day all ends of earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before him. Psalm 22, 27. And that the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah 11, 9. However dark things may look in our own lives, we can wait on the Lord with patience. For he has promised to give rest to those who come to him weary and heavy laden. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. However much pain and suffering we are facing in this life, we can be patient as we trust that these light, momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. So be patient. Know the story that you are in. Remember to think on eternity. Be reminded that your entire life is a vapor. You know, that struggle you are in right now is a vapor within a vapor, a, a tiny part of your life that will soon pass. Be patient in your work, patient in your physical and spiritual disciplines, and be patient with other people as God has been patient with you. We must live out the gospel, applying it to our relationships. Brothers and sisters, think on the patience and forbearance of God. How many times have you sinned against Him? How many times have you even repeated the exact same sin against Him? And what has been God's response? God's grace is an inexhaustible well. It is a never-ending fountain. God has not been stingy with his grace. He does not measure it out with teaspoons. But he opens the floodgates of heaven, pouring out his lavish grace upon you, covering all of your sins. And then he tells us, forgive as you have been forgiven. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving as God and Christ forgave. So that child 
who does the same thing for the 15th time today. Your spouse who did again that thing they promised they wouldn't do. That irritating coworker who just drives you up a wall. Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be patient with others as God is patient with you. All right, let's continue on with kindness. Uh, in Greek, it is Christotes, kindness. And the emphasis here appears specifically to be on a kindness that is willing to meet the needs of others. Uh, the helps words study even defines it as useful kindness, referring to meeting real needs, and as the Spirit produced goodness which meets the need and avoids human harshness or cruelty. Close quote. It is the opposite of severity, the opposite of cutting something short, cutting something off quickly. This word kindness is translated even as good in Romans 3 verse 12 in that text describing what mankind does not have. Romans 3 verse 12 describing man's natural sinful condition says, All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, no one does kindness, that same word there, uh, not even one. So to put this together, kindness, Christotes, is a useful kindness. It is a tenderness and care that is ready and willing to meet the needs of others. Now once again, as with love, we must be careful not to allow secular culture to hijack these words and to weaponize them against us. Keep in mind that the fact that someone accuses you of being unkind does not necessarily mean that you were. They might be right, you might have been a jerk, but not necessarily. And so our good desire to be kind, to not be harsh, must not make us manipulatable. We looked last week at 1 Corinthians 13 and saw there, love is kind. We saw also that love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love, therefore, does not mean unqualified affirmation. As we saw last week, to properly define love, we must begin with God and his holy law. And the same here is true of kindness. The fact is, we show no true kindness by downplaying the severity of sin. And so the fact that someone might accuse you of being harsh with them for rebuking their sin does not mean that you have failed to show them biblical kindness. Harshness of some kind will be inescapable. You will either be harsh on sin and therefore show great kindness to the person, or you will be soft on sin, and therefore extremely harsh and unkind for the person. So once again, as we speak of being tender-hearted and kind and avoiding harshness, we must not allow the call to kindness 
to be used as a weapon against us that would cause us to withdraw anytime someone dislikes what we're doing. This kind of thing can be quite common in marriages. Men see their biblical responsibility to be leaders in their homes, and perhaps they realize that they have been abdicating this responsibility for a long time. As they seek to take a step of leadership in their home, their wives, who have become accustomed to their de facto position of authority, then accuse them of being harsh. They remind their husbands that kindness is a fruit of the Spirit, and although there had been no true unkindness, this idea of kindness gets weaponized against the husband so that he backs down and returns to his posture as a submissive wife. Now, whatever the situation, uh, whether in a marriage that has not been functioning biblically, or in an attempted rebuke by a brother in Christ, or in our interactions with non-believers, we must never allow the call for kindness to be used as a weapon to cause us to back down from biblical responsibilities. So with that qualification, we can bring the challenge to ourselves. Are we kind? Are we willing to meet the needs of others? Do we display a useful kindness? James 2 verse 15 says this, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? A person full of kindness, the kindness produced by the Spirit of God, will not merely be a well-wisher, but will be ready and willing to show kindness by meeting a need. Kindness is a disposition of the heart toward benevolence. True kindness is not simply to wish others well, but to be willing willing to meet the need, not just to pay lip service, but to show kindness through our actions. Jesus told the story of a man who was journeying from one city to another, and while he was traveling through the countryside, he was ambushed. Uh, he was robbed, he was beaten, uh, injured so badly that he couldn't move, and he was left for dead on the side of the road. Now, fortunately for him, a priest came by. Now you think if anybody would help this poor man, it would be a priest of the living God. But the priest, seeing the man lying there, went around him walking to the other side of the street and continued on his way. So also a Levite, the assistant to the priests, came down the road and when he saw the man, he did the same thing and around the man, leaving him there. Then came a Samaritan, a man who would normally be thought of as an enemy of the Jews, who came down the road and saw this man and had compassion on him. He went to him and treated his wounds, bandaging them, took the man and placed him on his own animal, and took him to an inn where he could take care of him. And he even paid for the man to stay there, until he had made a full recovery. Now Jesus told this parable to explain what love for neighbor looks like, 
and it does an excellent job as well of illustrating Christotis, kindness, useful kindness. And Jesus said to those who heard him, you go and do likewise. Let your kindness be seen by your willingness to meet the needs of others, to give help, to take action, to demonstrate a useful kindness. As our Lord Jesus taught in Matthew 5, verse 42, give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now it's not hard to see how the church, if we would apply this kind of kindness, would then be a great blessing to the community and to the world. Gatherings of Christians, local churches, ought to be communities of good Samaritans. People filled with the kindness of the Holy Spirit, ready and able to help each other and to help those in need. And that brings us to our final characteristic for this morning, which is goodness. In Greek, agathasune. Uh, now there is significant overlap here in meaning uh, with kindness. Uh, one scholar even argues that the primary meaning of goodness is kindness in action. Uh, so the type of kindness we just described. Uh, but since we've covered this side of things already, we'll focus here instead on what it means to be good. As the Helps word study has it, agathasune, goodness, means inherently good. Properly, intrinsic goodness, especially as a unique quality and condition. So this is to be Good, to have goodness in a moral sense. Now, for us to understand goodness, we must understand what it means to be good. Bill Mounts notes, The nature of good is by definition theocentric, centered on God. For the triune God defines what is good. Now this is one of the many areas where we must have our thinking completely and totally shaped by Scripture. We know that sin has impacted every single part of us. Right? When we speak of the doctrine of total depravity, we are not saying that man is as evil as he possibly could be, but rather we are saying that sin has had an effect on every part of our being. Uh, so not only are our desires warped, so that we naturally follow after the desires of the flesh, but sin infects our reasoning, our emotions, and yes, even our moral compasses. Our perspective of right and wrong is skewed by sin, therefore it needs to be corrected by Scripture. To learn what is truly good, we must be taught by God through his word. Now to further complicate matters, not only does our own sinful flesh produce faulty notions of right and wrong, but we also must contend against the world and the devil. Satan is the great deceiver, the father of lies, and it is literally the oldest trick in his book, to convince people that God and his word are not good. 
we follow the error of Eve when we seek to put ourselves in the place of God, judging good and evil for ourselves apart from God's law word. In addition to the devil, the world, the collective system of unbelief and apostasy, piles on doubt and rebellion. And even in the church, we are often far more influenced by the world than we may even realize. So what can we do? How can we counteract the world, the flesh, and the devil? We must walk by the Spirit. We must trust the word that the Spirit of God has inspired. We must believe it all the way down and all the way across. As Scripture warns us, Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Let us not be deceived by the world, the flesh, or the devil. Let us not trust in our own worldly wisdom and so put ourselves in the place of God. Let us stand upon his word, trusting it at every point, as it is written, let God be true and every man a liar. And it's three verse four. So when we come to something in Scripture that we disagree with, something we don't like, something that rubs us the wrong way, perhaps something God commands or has done, let us trust in God. Let us be willing to be shaped by God and His Word that He may teach us what is good. Micah 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? The Christian is to be good, to be morally upright, to be full of goodness. And we must have the humility to be shaped by the scriptures. We are to be walking by the Spirit in obedience to God and his word, which will then lead to a life of goodness toward our fellow man. We are to be characterized by goodness. This is to be our character, and catch this, it is to be our character at the deepest level. Which means not only when we are out in public, not only when there are people watching, but everywhere and in everything. You know, it's easy enough to put on a smile, to don your Sunday best, and to make a good showing for a few hours for the people in church. But are you the same person Saturday night as you are on Sunday morning? Is there a difference in your character? Is goodness simply a facade that you put on as your public persona while you are different at home or in the secret place? When we walk by the Spirit, we are sanctified. 
We are made holy. Our hearts are transformed, our minds are renewed, and our wills are strengthened to become truly marked by goodness. That we may be the same person wherever we are. Goodness, patience, and kindness. These are fruit. They are produced in us by the Spirit of God. And as I mentioned last week, that if we find our lives are not manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, that our first priority must be to grow closer to God, to pursue the Lord, walking by the Spirit. And with that said, I want to clarify something here. We must not get the wrong idea about this, as if we could therefore be passive in any of these areas. Now the fact that these are described as things that the Spirit produces in us is not a reality that lets us off the hook, so to speak. For example, if we find that we are lacking in kindness, we do not simply shrug our shoulders, continue to be unkind, and then pray for the Spirit to produce kindness in us. Walking by the Spirit is not a passive thing. We must, at all times, labor with all of our might to bring our lives into complete conformity with God and His Word. And so walking by the Spirit is not only walking in the spiritual disciplines, although that's an important part, but it is also walking in obedience, day by day. You know, as we face various situations in our lives, we will be given opportunities to show patience, kindness, goodness, etc. And so walking by the Spirit means striving to do what the Spirit would have you do in every situation. Progressive sanctification, that is, our gradual growing in holiness in this lifetime, is not passive. It is not something that simply happens to us as we sit by as passive observers. We see through the scriptures we are repeatedly called to strive, to do, to act, to labor, to engage our wills with all the vigor that we can running the race, fighting the battle, stirring up the graces that are given to us. And yet as we do this, we do so in the strength that God supplies, knowing that anything worth happening that does happen will have been the work of God in us, and therefore the fruit of His Spirit. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, Paul writes this, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So Paul looks back over all of his labor as an apostle, all of the things that he did, the sermons he preached, the people he discipled, the sufferings he underwent, churches he planted. And in comparing himself to the other apostles, he even acknowledges that, yeah, I worked harder than any of them. 
but then so as to not be misunderstood. He turns around and acknowledges the real MVP. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. John Piper writes, in every instance of Paul's intention and effort to obey Christ, grace was at work to produce that intention and that effort. So as he worked and labored, engaging his will to serve, to preach, to endure trials, he looks back on it all and says, that was all the grace of God. So it is in our lives. We are called to labor, to battle sin, to put sin to death, to obey God in every situation, taking everything, we, every situation we find ourselves in as a fresh opportunity to glorify God by our response. And we are to do so completely aware of our complete and total dependence upon the Spirit of God for his ever-arriving grace to strengthen us and to incline our wills toward full obedience. And it is when we work and strive in this way that God is glorified. 2 Peter 4 verse 11 says, Serve by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Walk by the Spirit. Walk in obedience to every word of God, knowing that it is only by the work of God in you that you are able to walk in obedience in this way. Alright, so what does this look like again when lived out? How can we serve in the strength that God supplies? How can we walk by the Spirit to live a life of obedience? We'll continue this theme. One of the keys to this is cultivating the practice of continual prayer. Constant prayer is to mark the life of a Christian. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 16 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We are to be in continual prayer. Now kids, this does not mean, don't get the wrong idea, that we need to walk around everywhere with our eyes closed and our hands folded. Uh, don't walk into walls. But rather, that we are to be in constant communication with God. So whatever you're doing, Talk to God about it. Ask Him for strength, for guidance, for wisdom, for courage. Ask Him for the grace that you need to honor Him in whatever situation you're in. Like the altar of incense in the tabernacle, may your life become a constant offering of sweet-smelling praises to God. God is pleased by your prayers. 
God answers your prayers. <coughs> and so if you're in a difficult situation, if you're facing suffering or pain, pray to the Lord for the patience to endure it. If you are dealing with a difficult person, pray to the Lord that he would bring to mind the great patience that he has shown with you. Forgiving your sins. So that you might extend that same patience to others. If you are lacking in kindness, pray that God would remind you of his loving kindness. A useful kindness that met your need. Granting you salvation through Christ. Who lived, who died, who ascended, and who now intercedes for you the right hand of the Father. Pray that God would incline your heart to imitate the kindness of Christ in meeting your need. And pray that God would stir up in you true goodness from the inside out. That you would love good and hate evil. That you would become a man or woman of integrity. A true worshiper of God whether in the secret place or in the assembly of the saints. Pray without ceasing. Walk by the Spirit. Serve in the strength that God supplies, so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.